You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody today? So good to see you guys. I am pumped, man. We got some teenagers up front. They're worshiping and every, man, just the power of the Holy Spirit there in our, in our worship time, just incredible. I'm excited today um, about getting to continue uh, our series in the book of Psalms that we've creatively named the Psalms where we are taking a look over the next few weeks at some different psalms, not from the standpoint of what they communicate in terms of our expressions of worship, because that's typically kind of what we think of when we think of psalms. We think of this is our expression or or kind of guidelines for the expression of worship, or we think about themes of worship in the psalms. But rather, we're we're taking an in-depth look at some of these psalms um, and and how how they form a biblical... they help us to form a biblical worldview, which is the lens through which we interpret our interactions and experiences with the world and the people around us. And, and despite the fact that the Psalms are these very ancient writings, they are still relevant and applicable today and can help us to determine how we are supposed to view ourselves, how we're supposed to view God, and how we are supposed to view other people. And here at Christ Walk Church, we believe that the scriptures, the Bible, should be the primary lens through which we view the world the way that we are influenced by the world or the way that perhaps we influence the world around us. We talk about the fact that Jesus, who is the living word, that he is our message. And so we need to look at everything that we experience and that we interact with through his scripture. And so that's what this series is all about. Last week, we began our series by taking a look at Psalm chapter one and the two paths that are presented there. We have the path of the righteous and then the path of the wicked. And together we learn that our desires determine our direction and that our direction ultimately will determine our destination. And so if you missed that message, you can go to our YouTube channel or you can find it on our podcast to catch up. I would highly encourage you to go back and check that out and watch and listen to catch up for those of you so that you'll be with us in, in, uh, in stride for where we're at today and where we are going moving forward. Today we're going to be taking a look at Psalm chapter 2. And so if you've got your Bible or you've got a smart device, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me and we'll land there in just a moment. Um, I got to know, are there any fans of reality TV in the room? If you're a fan of reality TV, it's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. You can raise your hand. Fans of reality TV, my man up front, he's got it. He is unashamed. He is waving that flag. If you're online with us and you're a fan of reality TV, drop like a fire emoji in the chat so that we can know. Um, Reality TV, I, I used to be a huge fan of Survivor back in the day. Any Survivor watchers, they're now on like season 834, I think. Um, Jeff Probst is now, um, he's cloned himself 14 times and he's now a cyborg, um, who is, uh, you know, the host of the show. Um, it's been going on for 
ever, right? Um, one of the things that I like about Survivor is, is that um, the intro, it has an instrument that a lot of people don't uh, normally know about or recognize, the didgeridoo. Um, and so it used to, like, there was a, a small window uh, in my life where um, I wanted to learn how to play the didgeridoo. It's just like a big pipe that you like, and I don't really know. It's something like that. It's weird. It's like an Aboriginal Australian thing. Super cool. Check out the didgeridoo. You can probably find like a YouTube video of 100 hours of didgeridoo and just play it on loop and think of me while you do that. Um, When Survivor was at its peak... Back when it was like, you know, hitting all the ratings and everything. And, and when, back when reality TV was kind of a new thing, um, I, I, I would have uh, some dinner parties every week. I remember um, I would go over to a friend's house. They were big Survivor fans as well. And so every single week we'd go and we would have dinner. And then we would gather around the TV. This was back in the day where we had to like actually watch something when it came on. You couldn't like pause or record or anything like that. Like if you weren't in front of the TV... You we're going to miss it. And so um, we, would, we would get together and we would have these survivor parties. And uh, Boston Rob was my favorite. Boston Rob, and then he proposed to his girlfriend, Amber, you know, at the finale and everything. And of course she said, yes, he just won a million dollars or whatever it was. Um, now they have like 17 kids or something. Uh, Rupert, he was kind of like a pirate kind of guy and was always hilarious. And then um, Johnny Fairplay, anybody remember that dude who like to get the sympathy vote told everyone that his grandmother had passed away and that, you know, and so he ended up staying on. Like I thought that was, that was pretty out there. But those were the days that, that I watch Survivor, if that connects with anybody. Um, I don't know anybody on the current cast or anything, and they're on like, like champions versus chumps round four or something. I, don't, I mean, it just, it keeps recycling itself. Um, but there, there's something that I've noticed, whether you're a Survivor fan or, or for a long time, uh, my wife and I, we watch The Amazing Race, or maybe um, it's Big Brother or some other kind of reality TV. There's a common bond that all of these kinds of reality TV share. And the common approach is that first, the, 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 the camera, the, 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 the videographers, they'll show the, the group, the, all of the people interacting as a whole. But then in some way, and it varies from show to show, but they'll do a thing where they'll, they'll single out characters and put them in a confessional booth. So to speak. So, so it's just them by themselves in front of the camera as individuals. And this is where all the tea gets spilled and where all the truth really comes out. And you see, this is what's actually taking place. And you get into the mind of this is what these people are doing and how they're playing the game and exactly what they think and what's really going on. With all of this. And, and as I read um, Psalm chapter 2, which we're getting ready to read through in, in just a minute, um, that, that is kind of how I picture things taking place as this psalm unfolds. It's, yes, it's 12 verses that present um, a, a cohesive thought and a theme, but it really identifies. Five, there's five different characters in this psalm that each take their turn in the confessional booth as an individual one-on-one in front of the camera. And so as this unfolds, you'll see it happening. It's going to move from uh, King David to um, the world at large and just the, the world personified. Um, you'll see that. And then we hear from God the Father. Then we hear from God the Son. And then we hear from God 
the Holy Spirit. So let's keep that in mind as we kind of walk through this psalm. But before we jump in and begin to read it through and break it down into its sections, um, you need to know that this was a royal psalm, and it was likely used in coronation ceremonies for uh, when, when kings would be crowned and established on their throne. And, and when this was originally written, it pertains directly to David, the, the king that it mentions um, uh, uh, would have been David, but it's a prophetic symbol as we will see it unfold. It's a prophetic symbol of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so it's, it's right here on the beginning of, of, of Psalms. And so we had Psalm 1 that we talked about last week. And now this is the second one where Psalm 1 focused on those who delight in the law. Psalm 2 focuses on those who choose to defy the law. And so you've got like right here at the beginning, this juxtaposition that's kind of taking place. Those that delight in the law and the outcome uh, that, that there will be for them. And then those who defy the law and the outcome that there will be for them. And the ultimate, the overarching theme of this book or, or this chapter rather is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. And so with all of that said, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to kind of read it section by section and work our way through. And I believe that this is going to help us to take the next step in shaping our biblical worldview. And so Psalm chapter 2, it starts with verse 1. This is David speaking. This is where he's in the confessional booth and, and he is, he's got his moment in front of the camera. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And so at this moment, David, he's, he's bewildered. He's completely astonished as this psalm opens. And David here, he's asking ultimately a rhetorical question. He, he's basically saying, what are, what are you thinking like, have you lost your mind? And all the parents of teenagers are like, we know exactly what he's talking about. We know exactly what that dude's talking about. In other words, what David is saying here is that after all that God has done for us, why do you, talking to the nations of the world, why do you continue to behave this way? After everything that God has done, after all of his blessings that he has bestowed on us, why do you continue to choose to live the way that you're living? And here in 2021, we don't have to look very far to see people or to find people that are making poor decisions with their life that ultimately affect those around them as a result. Political leaders, sure. Religious leaders, definitely. Celebrities and social influencers, of course. Maybe coworkers. Maybe family members, maybe even when we look in the mirror, we see someone that if we were being honest, is somebody that's not really making the wisest of choices for 
their life. And what David is saying here is he, he's, he's pointing out that their plans, the plans of these kinds of people, the, the desires that they have, that, that they are futile, that ultimately they are a waste of time. Yet, despite that fact, they continue to behave this way anyway. They continue to make these choices and decisions anyway. And, and he, says, he says, the kings of the earth prepare for battle. It is, it's a jockeying for position and who's going to be in control and, and who is going to be in charge and who is going to have the final say and who is going to be the one that everyone else submits to and everyone else serves and everyone else bows a knee to. It says the rulers plot, the rulers plot. And that word plot, it's actually the same word. It's Hagah from Psalm 1 where we get meditate, which means to, to mutter. But in Psalm 1, we were talking about those who Hagah on the word of God, that they continually keep it in their mouth. They're reciting it over and over and over. Instead, the rulers of the world, they are, they are plotting, they are Hagahing, they are muttering under their breath against the Lord and against his anointed one. Like think of a kid when his parents don't give him what he wants and he stomps off pouting and mumbling under his breath. I'm gonna show them. That's what's going on here. The kings of the world, they're shaking a fist at God. How dare you not give us the things that we desire? And so they're pouting and they're stomping off and they're muttering under their breath. And he says, they do this against the Lord and against his anointed one. That, that term anointed one, it literally means Messiah. It's talking about ultimately Jesus. And so as the rest of this chapter unfolds, there are, there are three, um, three ideas or, or three, um, three things that happen, as you'll see it unfold, that, that point to the establishment of God's supreme sovereignty. And so if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Um, the first one of these is, uh, first, we, we witness a demonstration of autonomy. We witness a demonstration of autonomy. And in verse 3... We continue, and this is the world speaking now. And verse 3 says, um, Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Let us break their chains and free ourselves from slavery to God. This is, we've, we've heard what King David said. He's saying, why are you behaving this way? Have you lost your mind? You've got to be crazy but yet the world is speaking and, and, and those that, th this is people that they've turned their back on God. It's the kings of the earth. It's those that are, that are in earthly authority and, and, and people that, that are not wanting to surrender their, their heart and life to God and to his way. And they're saying, let's, let's break our chains and free ourselves from slavery to God. Ultimately, what they're communicating is we're tired of pleasing God and instead we just want to please our flesh. And, and this kind of demonstration of autonomy is like when, when we're autonomous, we say we don't want to be under the rule of that anymore. We want to move over here and we want to be under the rule of ourselves. It's, this kind of demonstration is ultimately fueled by both fear and pride. And fear is, it's really FOMO. It's fear of missing out. It's, it's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. It's, it's the things 
outside of God's boundaries, we look at those things and we experience those things and we see those things and we come to the conclusion that those things out there are better than what we have in here within the boundary of God. And so we want to break off the chains of slavery so that we can get out there and get some of that because God is withholding it from us. And so that's what we want instead. And then it's, it's not just the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes through FOMO and, and, and that fear that's driving it. It's also pride, which is ultimately the pride of life. That these people, they're saying, we know what's best for ourselves. God, you don't. We know what's best for ourselves, not you. And so we want to do as we please. There's many examples of this. Some that we see happening, uh, that, that we've seen kind of unravel in our culture and our society over the past decades is the fact that we don't want to submit to God's design for marriage. And so we have premarital sex, which leads to cohabitation outside of the marriage covenant and which has uh, which is mutated into homosexuality or it's led to um, the desire to kill the unborn through abortion because we've engaged in these unholy kinds of relationships and oops, now there's a mistake and I don't want that on my conscience and I can't have it kind of interrupting my way of life so I'm just gonna go ahead and kill this child and we've made all of those, those things okay in our culture, in our society over the past number of years. One that we're seeing kind of being crammed down our throat of, 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 of recent days and, and recent months is, is that we don't want to submit to God's design for gender. And so we have males who have decided that they're going to identify as females. And we have females that have decided they're going to identify as males. And we have people out there that are, they're identifying as nothing. Or we have other people that they're identifying as everything. And it's just anything goes, whatever. And now we're even, we're we're coming to the place where our government is is making decisions that that even children in school at the the, the age of four, that they can decide for themselves who they're going to be and how they're going to identify. And guess what? The school doesn't have to tell mom and dad and bring them into that picture and everything. That is messed up, y'all. It's messed up. But it's all because we've said, God, we want to break off the yoke and the chains of your slavery and and we're turning our back on you and, and, and you haven't done anything for us and so we want to do as we please. Because in you, we're missing out on all of this other stuff that we could have that you're keeping from us. We thought you were a good God. We, we thought you were a loving God. Why do you want to hold this back from us? And so we're pushing God to the side and we're moving forward and we're taking a hold of this other stuff instead. We look at the picture of our world today as a whole in the political realm. There's nothing but confusion Like, I don't know, maybe somebody can tell me, like, do we listen to the Democrats? Do we listen to the Republicans? Do we listen to the independents? Like, who's out there that's leading with integrity? Who's out there that's right? Who is out there that is telling people the truth? Who genuinely wants the best for the people that they serve? And I use that term very loosely. Instead of pushing some hidden agenda forward, nobody knows. Nobody knows. We all have ideas, but they're all opposing ideas. And so it's created nothing but confusion in the moral realm. 
Time and time again, we see nothing but corruption. We've come to the place that we just say, if it feels good, do it. If it's what you want, take it. Anything goes. Anything goes. In the spiritual realm, we see nothing but compromise. So many people, I can, just, I can go to church on Sunday, I can watch online, and I can just check off the box. Or I can read my Bible and, and spend a moment in prayer just to check off the box. But, but I don't have to let any of those things change the way that I choose to live. I can do that stuff just to maintain the status quo. But I don't have to like really give God my heart. I don't have to like really follow him. I don't really have to pay attention to the words that I'm reading in his word. I don't really have to like consider what he wants for me in prayer. Instead, I'm just gonna go to him and give him this laundry list of the things I need him to do for me. And then I'm gonna move on about my day and pretend that I'm a Christ follower. And in the social realm, it's driven by comfort. It's driven by comfort. It's, I want things my way, you know? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us, you know? I got news for somebody. This ain't Burger King. God did not call us to be comfortable. God called us to be holy. He didn't say, I want you to be comfortable. He didn't say, come and follow me and be, no, he said, be holy as I am holy. Sometimes that's really hard and it's very painful, but that's what God has called us to do. But here's what I've discovered. And here's the, here's the hope that you and I have for today is that despite all of the confusion, despite all of the corruption, despite all of the compromise, despite this drive of our world to just experience comfort up in heaven, in the heavenly realm, there's nothing but calm, nothing but calm. God is not pacing back and forth in front of his heavenly throne, chewing his fingernails into the quick, trying to figure out how he's going to make sense of all of this mess. He is 100% completely in control. He's never lost control. He's never teetered on the edge where there was a possibility that he could lose control. He is in control. And in fact, as our psalm continues, he proves that to us through his declaration of authority. That's number two, declaration of authority. The world demonstrates their desire for autonomy, but God declares his authority. We pick it up in verse four. He says this, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. This is where God the Father gets in the confessional booth and, and he has his one-on-one. -on -one and he says, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. That he laughs at what the people of the world are doing. Not because it's funny, but he laughs in light of their arrogance and their audacity. This word scoff, it says the Lord scoffs at them. It's, it's to mock or deride. It, it's, oh, little man created by me, telling me what he's going to do and how things are going to be according to him. 
How funny that I'm the one that called everything into being and existence with my voice, but yet my creation is going to tell the creator what they're going to do and how things are going to be? Yeah, I don't think so. He says, I have placed, I have placed my chosen king. I have done it. It is, it's definitive, it's done, and he hasn't given you or me any say in the matter. This is what he has done and what he's decided to do because he is in complete control. He has all of the authority. He says, I have placed, it's done, it's final, I've spoken, my chosen king. It's his chosen king. We didn't get a vote. He didn't ask us what we thought. He said, no, I've placed my chosen king. It's the person that that I chose to sit on the throne of the holy mountain of Zion or or Jerusalem. In other words, y'all can think what you want and you can do what you want, but you'll soon find out that it's all pointless because I've already decided in my supreme authority and sovereignty as God, I've already decided how things are going to be and how things are going to end up. I've placed my king on the throne and he's going to rule and reign forever and I have bestowed upon him ultimate authority. So ultimately what what God is saying right here is that one day the time is coming where either by choice or by force, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, period. That's it. It it calls to mind uh, what Peter writes in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, as the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor that God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected have, has, be, uh, has now become the cornerstone. And this concept right here, this is paramount for those of us who are wanting to establish a biblical world view that the stone that the builders rejected Jesus Christ has now become the cornerstone that 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 he wasn't just a good man he wasn't just a holy prophet he wasn't just a moral teacher he is either lord of all or not at all he is king of kings he is lord of lords he is king Jesus That is foundational to our viewpoint as believers, the way that we look at things through the lens of the word of God. This is what God the Father is saying in his declaration of authority. And this declaration of authority continues because now the son, God the son gets into the booth and and he speaks up. And we continue on in in verse 7. Of Psalm chapter 2, it says, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. He says, The Lord said to me, You are my son, and today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession, and you will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So the son gets in the booth and he's saying, Look, I can prove it to you. 
What God the Father is saying and how you're going to see this, how you've already seen this play out in my life as the Son of God. He says, you are my son. This points to Christ's baptism. We remember John the Baptist baptized Jesus. He comes up out of the water and the dove ascends on him. And we hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Points to his baptism. Then he says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This, this points to Christ's resurrection. That when he rose from the dead, there was no doubt. Only the son of God could do something like that. Only the son of God could rise from the dead. And he says, nations are going to be your inheritance and you're going to have the whole earth as your possession. In other words, the father has given complete authority. He has bestowed that on Jesus and that is now his mantle to carry. And he says, the the father told me, you will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Perhaps a, a better translation for that word break is actually rule. And so think of like a a scepter in the hand of a king and it's made out of iron. It is unwavering that that what he says and the authority that he has, it stands and it stands firm. And there is no compromising it. There is no bending it. There is no way of skirting around it. He says that ultimately this points to Christ's second coming, that that when he comes back, he he is going to to take the throne in Jerusalem and and once and for all, everyone will see that he is the Lord's anointed, that he has been established as king. And that's when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He says that that you're gonna gonna smash your enemies like clay pots. I I did a little bit of research and I came across that that this was actually a reference to um, a ritual that that kings would do before they sent their armies out to battle in in ancient times. They would would have these clay pots that would have uh, um, pictures on them or, or drawings or words or things that represented the nation or, or the, the people that they were going to fight against. And it was like, like an old school kind of pep talk, you know? Like you'd get in the locker room and you'd gather the team around and everything. Well, what would happen is, is the king, he would, he would put these clay pots so that the army could see them and, and he'd be giving his decree and, and the military leaders would be giving their marching orders and then the king, he would take his scepter and one by one, he would smash these clay pots and get all the army. They'd get them pumped up and jacked up and they'd be foaming at the mouth and ready to go and defeat the enemy. That, that's what God is saying, that anyone who stands in his way, that when Jesus comes back, those who are standing in opposition to him, they are going to be dashed to a million little pieces, never to be seen of or heard from again. Those who fail to surrender to Jesus Christ are ultimately going to be destroyed. And Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 13. He said this, he says, that is the way it will be at the end of this world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, the sheep from the goats, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God the Father comes on the scene and he says his peace and and God the Son shows up and and says his peace to support what God the Father has said. And there's a complete and total declaration of authority there, which then leads to the Holy Spirit coming in. 
demanding for acceptance. That's number three. There's now a demand for acceptance. A demand for acceptance. And we pick up in verse 10 of Psalm chapter 2. It says, Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all of your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. This is what the Holy Spirit comes to say. And when the Holy Spirit shows up and, and, and he gives this demand, make it, let, let's make it very clear. This is not a suggestion. This is the Holy Spirit communicating. You don't have a choice in the matter. This, if you're going to follow after God, this is how you must live. He says, you gotta be servants and you've gotta be submissive. Servanthood and submission. These are their primary markers for those that have exchanged their slavery to sin for slavery to righteousness. Servanthood, it's a posture that you take on that, that puts the needs and the desires of others before self. One of our core values here at Christ Walk is that servanthood is our posture. And submission is, is this idea that, that what God wants is so much greater than what we want. What God wants for us is so much greater, so much better than the things that we want for ourselves. So, so we're going to submit to his desire for our life rather than our own. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. He talks about exchanging slavery to sin for slavery to righteousness. Because make no mistake, we are all going to be slaves of something. We will all be slaves of something. You're, you're not going to be able to live independent of slavery to something. You are going to be, based on your desires and your direction, your, your destiny where you end up, it's, you're going to be bound to something. So let's get that really clear. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 6, starting in verse 15. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? See, there it is right there. We're going to be slaves of whatever we choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Continues in verse 18. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves of righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Verse 21. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things that you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our 
So ultimately what Paul is saying there is that, that what you are slave to, it's going to be determined by three things. It's going to be determined by three things. It's going to be determined by what you accept. It's going to be determined by what you allow. It's going to be determined by how you act. Number one, it, it's, it's going to be determined by, by what we accept. That are we going to choose to follow after sin? And death? Are we going to accept that? Are we going to embrace that into our life? Or are we going to embrace obedience and righteous living? Which one are we going to accept? It's going to be determined by what we allow. Are, are we going to allow impurity and lawlessness to continue to be the way of our life? Or instead, are we going to allow righteousness and holiness to be the way of our life? And that will ultimately lead to how we act. How we act. Are we going to act based on the things we used to do? That old man, that old way of living, which lead us to eternal doom? Or instead, are we going to choose to act on the things that are holy and lead us, point us in the direction of eternal life? The path is clear. The path is clear. But if we choose not to live this way, the scriptures say we'll be destroyed. We'll be destroyed. I'm not trying to, to guilt anybody into anything this morning. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying, to, trying to be harsh or anything. Like, I, I'm not saying this. Like, this is what the Bible says. I'm just trying to present the truth. If you choose not to live this way, the day, the time, which no man knows is coming when you will be destroyed. I don't want you to be destroyed. I would much rather you choose to live God's way and get on the path to holiness and righteous living and end up with eternal life. But if you don't, you will be destroyed. I love this quote from Derek Kidner. He says this, he says, God's patience is not placidity any more than his fierce anger is loss of control, his laughter cruelty or his pity sentimentality. When his moment comes for judgment, and it is coming. When his moment comes for judgment, in any given case, it will be by definition beyond appeasing or postponing. When it's God's time, it's going to be God's time. And our window is closing. Our window is closing. You and I need to choose today. This is how we are going to choose to live. That we're going to choose to, to exchange slavery to sin for slavery to righteousness. And I love the way that this psalm ends. It ends very much in the way that Psalm 1 begins, the end of verse 12. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. What joy we have if we choose to surrender to the Father, if we choose to live his way, if we choose to take the path of righteousness and, and, and engage in a holiness lifestyle. What joy we have, what blessings we will receive, what happiness we will experience if we'll only make the decision to live this way. To refuge 
that we have in the Lord. It's, it's a place of shelter and safety that, that what God is telling us in this passage is that, that we can have security in his sovereignty. That despite what everybody else chooses to do, despite the direction that the rest of the world goes, that if we will take refuge in him, we can have joy. We can experience his blessings and be happy knowing what awaits us when this world ceases to exist. See, what fear and pride interpret as bondage, what fear and pride say we got to break the chains off of and we got to get rid of this, what fear and pride interpret as bondage is actually bliss. You and I can have that by simply making the decision to live God's way. So we've, we've heard what the world says. We've heard what the Father says what the Son says, and what the Holy Spirit says. But really all that matters right now is what do you say? What do you say? Where has your fear of missing out caused you to make poor choices that lead to living outside of God's design plan for your life? Where have you allowed maybe pride to come into your life that causes you to defy God's law rather than surrender to Jesus by delighting in God's law. The question today is, will you choose to accept the blessing that comes from within God's refuge or will you choose instead to accept the wrath that comes from outside of it? Because here's what I know. There's no refuge from God. There's only refuge in God. There is no refuge from him. Judgment day is coming. Pastor Blake is going to be tough to build a church on, on, on that message. Well, I'm going to try to build a church on the truth. And the truth is judgment day is coming. And when it does, there will be no refuge from him. There will only be refuge in him. The choice is yours. But either way, Regardless of how you choose, God is still in control and he's going to have his say. You can be with him or you can be against him, but you can't be both. So we got to decide. We got to decide how we're going to be and who we're going to be, how we're going to live from this point forward. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I, I'm ready to make that decision. I, I want to get off of the path of wickedness. I want to get on the path of righteousness. I'm, I'm ready to exchange my slavery to sin, to slavery to Jesus Christ and to his word today. I'm ready to step into a relationship with Jesus to know that, that as I take refuge in the Father, that my eternity is secure. If that's you you're here in this room, you're watching with us online today, I wanna to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's gonna be on the screen if you need it. Can we just pray this together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.